better on the way, I'm glad to tell you. Um, but it's wonderful to be with you. Uh, I don't know many of you. Um, I know Will and, and Marianne and the boys have had the pleasure of meeting some of you uh, this morning. Um, perhaps you remember I came to preach for you uh, maybe a month before the first lockdown happened, um, that period of time that sort of erased time and, and history. Um, and so I really mean it when I say that I'm so glad to be back and to see this place full again. Uh, what a testament to God's faithfulness in that time uh, that he's gathered us together uh, this morning to praise uh, and to worship him. Uh, bring warm uh, greetings from the congregation at Aberdeen. Uh, we remember you uh, often. We, we had a, a, our monthly sort of prayer breakfast yesterday morning, uh, and we prayed for you all uh, and the work that, that goes on here. So please do be assured of our love for you uh, and our prayers for you and our, our partnership with you uh, in the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have that passage open in front of you that we looked at, from Luke 18, that will be most wonderful. Uh, And as we turn that back up together, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Lord on earth, you said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would speak and that we would listen. Oh Lord, let our hearts be receptive to your word. Let us thirst after your word as a newborn baby thirsts after pure milk. Feed us, we pray today. Build us up, strengthen our faith. Draw us nearer to you and to your kingdom, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know about you here in Dundee, uh, but in Aberdeen, uh, we have plenty of castles. Uh, You can hardly move for castles. Uh, One of our favorite outings as a family actually is to a nearby castle, Crathus Castle. Uh, You you actually have to drive past a less good castle to get there, Drum Castle. Uh, And of course, not too far away is uh, the royal family's Highland Retreat. Uh, Balmoral Castle. Uh, If you were all to to drive up to visit Aberdeen, uh, you'd pass some castles. Breakin Castle uh, and Dunotter Castle. Why so many castles? Have you ever wondered? What are castles for? Why why do people have a castle? Uh, Of course, in the past, it was to do with uh, defending yourself, staying safe, but no longer really, is it? What, What does a castle do? Uh, Well, a castle is there to impress, is it not? Why do people have castles? Well, in order to feel like the king or queen of the castle, like royalty, as someone important. And part of the the impressiveness, I guess, of a castle is the front door. Uh, You you go through, don't you, the big archway or, or the great double doors, and it tells you something about Uh, the important place that you are walking into, the impressive front door. That is how castles work. That is how the kingdoms of this world work. But today, Jesus wants us to know that that is not how God's kingdom works. That God's kingdom does not have a wide door. 
or a big entrance. In fact, Jesus says the door into God's kingdom is smaller even than the eye of a needle. And if you've ever tried to thread a needle, you'll know just how small that is, which led the people back then and surely us today to ask, well, then who can come in? Who can enter God's kingdom if the way is so narrow, the door is so tight? Who can possibly go through it? Who can enter God's kingdom? Well, that is what Jesus wants us to know today uh, in this passage of his word, who can enter the kingdom of God. If you just glance through the passage, just see that with me, that's what he's saying. Firstly, look with the children in verse 17. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Then uh, a wee bit further down, look, the rich man, verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then verse 26, there's the question, isn't it? Then who can be saved? Who then can enter? Uh, Well, in these verses, Jesus answers that question for us. And the answer is not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand, okay? Whatever week you've come from to this Sunday morning, okay, you don't have to be uh, completely on the ball to understand what Jesus has to say to us today. But it is hard. In fact, Jesus says it is impossible for us to do on our own. Who then can enter God's kingdom? How must we come in? Uh, Well, Jesus, as he so often does, he turns our whole religious world on, on its head by saying, firstly, that to enter God's kingdom, you must come like a baby. Come like a baby. Just picture the scene if you can. Jesus is on the road with his disciples. He's nearing the capital of God's people, Jerusalem, uh, and his reputation has gone before him. Uh, And so uh, people know by now that that he's not only a teacher, a prophet, but as they will soon cry out, he is God's chosen promised king. He is the son of David. And so as Jesus passes by their towns and villages, people come out to him and they bring their their families, their children uh, to him. Uh, And not only children, but look, verse 15, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Uh, Now, there are two words in Greek for child, but Luke doesn't use either of them here. Uh, In fact, he, he chooses to use a word that means someone even younger than that. Uh, So uh, here, infants, or in the NIV, babies, uh, newborns. In fact, it's a word that's also used for for somebody who is not yet born, someone that little, that young, that, that fragile. So people were bringing their very, very, very youngest, their babes in arms out to Jesus that he might touch them so as to bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. 
Uh, that is quite forceful. Stay back. You don't come any closer. Now, we're not told why they thought that, why they said that. Uh, perhaps they thought that these babies were uh, just not important enough for Jesus to take time over. Why should Jesus stop uh, so to touch, to hold tiny wee babies? Uh, back then, children were not treasured in the way that they are uh, today. In fact, they were seen sometimes as a kind of uh, a necessary inconvenience. You, you spend a lot on them. They, they take a lot. They take time to give back, don't they? Uh, and so perhaps their point was, well, Jesus is just too, too busy, too important for these, these babies. Bringing someone more important, someone who can do more, who can give more, uh, who, who just is more for Jesus. But how does Jesus respond to these babies and their families? Just look in verse 16. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. I don't know about you, I loved it, the, the wee hubbub of children's voices as Will read those words earlier in our service. Because Jesus says, no, no, it's the other way around. Look, let, let the children come, but you disciples stay back. He calls the children and he rebukes the disciples. No, he says, let the children come to me. Just see how emphatic he is. He puts the command positively and then negatively. Let them come and do not hinder. Uh, he could have just used one of those, couldn't he? It would have meant the same thing, but he stresses his point, doesn't he? Let them come. Do not hinder. So important is it to Jesus that these little, little ones are brought to him. Uh, and that on its own speaks volumes to us this morning, brothers and sisters, about our Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus opens his arms wide to the very youngest, the least able, the most helpless, and he wants nothing to be put in their way of coming to him. Uh, he's saying, isn't he, that they belong in his presence. They have a place with him, that there is no such thing as being too little for Jesus. Uh, now, I was going to say this a bit sheepishly, uh, but I need not, uh, that in our church building in Aberdeen, uh, we have stained glass windows, but I see that you do too, so I'm okay. And you know what? Uh, they're the same stained glass windows that we have. Okay, these exact same scenes, Jesus, the good shepherd, and look, what, what's this one, Luke? What does that show us there? Jesus receiving the, the little children. It's showing us this very scene, isn't it? Uh, our one is actually directly opposite the pulpit, so Andy's probably looking at it right now. Uh, but just take a look uh, at this. Why is that there? I don't know. Uh, maybe you know why, why, these, why these windows are here. Why would somebody put this scene in our churches? 
Now, I take it it's not a coincidence. I don't know why this was put here, but it's not a coincidence, is it? Surely it is to tell us and to remind us as a church family of the place that children born into and brought into the church family have before our God. Is that not why it's there, that these children are blessed by the head of the family, by Christ himself, as they receive the love of his family, the church, as they receive the the preaching and the teaching of his word in their homes and and on a Sunday, uh, as they have access from their very, very youngest days to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who says, let them come to me, let them come. Uh, That is marked, of course, by their baptism, isn't it? When we bring our children to be blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ in their baptism, we're recognizing that special place God has given them in the community of his people, which Jesus so strongly insists upon here. Uh, Now, let me be clear, these verses are not teaching about baptism, but they are part of the bigger picture, aren't they? They're part, part of the puzzle that makes up the Christian church. And so it is a reminder, isn't it, for us in passing, how much in our churches we surely value and love and want the children here. How good it is, how good it is for you, brothers and sisters, that you have children in your church. What joy it is to hear them on a Sunday, babbling or or speaking or singing or, or praying with you. Uh, We love them, don't we? When was the last time you told them that you love them being here? Uh, We have two little boys at home, uh, Caleb, who's one, and Samuel, who's just two months old. Um, But we, uh, the Sunday after Samuel was born, uh, we sort of felt well enough to to come out to church. We weighed it up. We decided, yeah, we should be there. So we we got out the door, (laughs) got our bags packed, Okay, we drove to church. I tell you, by the time we sat down in church before the service started, we felt like we'd made it. All right, that was a victory. Maybe so that's uh, some of you this morning, you feel like that. Getting home nearly took it out of us completely. Uh, but that afternoon, we were so encouraged when somebody messaged us to say how lovely it was to see us all there together, that they were praying for us. I can't tell you how encouraging that was to us as a a young family. Uh, And now we we actually have people help us get out the door on a Sunday uh, and who help us at church when we arrive. Uh, And that is such a blessing. As a church, take every opportunity that you have to encourage the boys and girls and their families who are part of this congregation. Encourage them, build them up, point them to Jesus in their faith and their parents in faithfulness, however you can, because Jesus called the children to himself and he wants nothing to keep them away from him. But, but if we stop there, then we've missed the point of this passage, okay? So look back down with me at the paper, because actually the shock is still to come. Look at why Jesus wants the children to come to him. Why, at the end of verse 16, does he want this? For, or because, 
to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, so not only are the children to come, says Jesus, but whoever comes to him must be like them. The disciples were not only wrong about the babies, but they need to learn from the babies how they must come to Jesus. To enter God's kingdom, he says, you have to come like a baby. If you don't, he says, you will not enter. It's that black and white. It's, it's non-negotiable. You know, a lot of what weighs on you as a parent, uh, some of you will know this, is, is what you must give your children, what you show them, what you teach them, what you put into them. Well, here's the twist. Jesus says that my newborn and my toddler show me the most important thing in life, which is how I need to come to Christ. What can Caleb give and what can Samuel do? Really nothing. Uh, In fact, they know best how to take. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones says uh, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, she calls children gift experts. Gift experts, because you don't have to teach children how to receive a gift, do you? They just love it. Okay, birthday, Christmas day, what do they do? They just tear into it. They love to receive gifts. And they don't think, do they, what do I have to give back? Or what do I have to do in, in return? No, they just receive the gift, don't they, with joy. And in that same way, says Jesus, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That is how Jesus says we need to enter God's kingdom, friends, not by giving and not by doing, but by receiving his gift like a little child. Uh, Now, perhaps that sounds uncomplicated. Okay, I said this was easy, didn't I? Perhaps that sounds uncomplicated, easy to get. Uh, What more is there to say? Well, next comes a certain ruler who shows us that we don't always know how to receive a gift. So second point this morning, let go of your treasure. Straight away, Luke presents us with a contrast. If you just were to imagine, who is the opposite of a newborn? Okay, what is the opposite of that? Somebody strong, able, uh, rich, powerful. Uh, Just paint that picture of your mind, the opposite of a newborn. Okay, and and that is this guy who comes next. Look, the ruler, Uh, someone rich, powerful, not a gift expert. So verse 18, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the the question itself betrays his heart, doesn't it? What must I do to come in? That is the whole basis of of how he comes. So Jesus begins by questioning, well, what, what do you mean by good? Define goodness. Why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. Uh, Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't denying that he is good, uh, nor is he denying that he is God, but he is interrogating this man's idea of goodness, isn't he? Define 
good for me? What do you mean by that? Uh, well, it turns out that this guy, what he means by good is keeping a few laws. Jesus lists a few commandments, doesn't he, as a kind of test for him. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Uh, maybe some of you noticed that commandments five to nine of of the Ten Commandments, most of what we sometimes call the second table of the law, or or that is uh, commandments to do with how we are to love one another. And what does the ruler say? Does he pass the test? He says, all these I have kept from my youth. Now that is quite a claim, isn't it? If you were to read back those commandments and think, have I lived like that since since I was young, <laughs> to keep all those laws like that. We could debate for hours whether what he's saying is, is true or not. Has he kept them? Hasn't he? I take it he hasn't because Jesus says no one is good except God alone. But that's beside the point because what does Luke want us to see? He wants us to see that this guy's idea of good is ticking a few boxes keeping a few laws. And the problem with that is that that is a highly watered-down idea of goodness. If I, if I tick these few boxes, surely then God will see me as good or, or good enough to come into his kingdom. But as Jesus says, only God himself can properly be called good. God is the source of every good and perfect thing. He is goodness itself. And so, whatever our outward compliance with God's Word, okay, whatever boxes we think we've ticked this morning, if we don't love God from our hearts, then we are far from good. Now, Jesus is about to show this ruler that is what he's really like. Just look with me at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. See, this is a test of what this ruler really loves, isn't it? Because it's, it's testing him on the commands that Jesus didn't list before from the Ten Commandments, the 10th commandment. What is that? do not covet or or do not set your heart on what you have or what you don't have. And on the first four commandments, which are to do with how we love God, the, the first table of the law, it is a test then of whether this ruler can really say he loves God or whether his, his wealth, his status, his power mean more to him than God's kingdom and an eternal life. If he had to choose, would he choose God or or would he choose his goods? Which will it be? Well, verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. See, what has Jesus done? He has just revealed to him and to us that in fact, this man's goodness and his whole idea of goodness and his whole claim to God and his kingdom and eternal life rest 
on a fallacy. They fall far short of God himself. Because in the end, the ruler is unwilling, isn't he, to give up his, his worldly treasure, his wealth, his power, his identity, to love God and his kingdom by trusting and following his king, Jesus Christ. It's worth saying at this point that this isn't a, a, a test that Jesus normally sets when we come to him. He doesn't normally ask us to give away all of our money before we follow him. No, this is a test designed for this man, isn't it? To take the blindfold from his eyes and show him that his heart really was far from God. And so the question that Jesus is asking us today is not necessarily about money, but this. What would I not give up if it kept me from coming to Jesus? What would I not give up if it kept me from coming to Jesus? Uh, That is the x-ray question, isn't it, that shows us our hearts, what really matters to us. For this guy, it's his wealth that he won't give up. But it could have been other things, couldn't it? You work controlling every part of our life or a love of being liked by others rather than being right before God or our status as someone important that that we just don't want to lose. Money is an obvious one, isn't it? Because the more of it you have, uh, the more of it you can spend, the more of it you can give, the more you can do with it, the harder it is uh, in our hearts to simply receive God's kingdom and not feel the need to to give back or or to do in return. Hence, Jesus' really vivid and and slightly absurd metaphor about the camel going through the eye of the needle. It's harder than impossible, he says, for somebody who is carrying too much in their hands, somebody carrying too much worldly baggage to fit through the door of God's kingdom and come in. And so we have to let go, don't we, friends, of whatever it is that keeps us from coming. Uh, This is the difference, isn't it, between the ruler and the babies. The ruler has everything to lose. The babies had nothing to give. The ruler has a, a status, an identity to boast in. The babies did not. The ruler can do so much. The babies could do Nothing, but the babies knew what the ruler did not know, which is how to receive. And that is all that mattered in the end. Are you humble enough in spirit to receive a gift from God and not feel that you have to do it yourself? Give back to him. Make a return. The ruler was sad and didn't come into God's kingdom because he was not willing to be and have and do nothing in order to receive God's kingdom and gain eternal life. He was not willing to become spiritually naked and needy and empty. But Jesus says, unless we receive God's kingdom like that, friends, as naked and as needy as a newborn, then we will not receive it. We will not come in. 
If you're considering Jesus today, let me say how glad I am that you're here. It's brilliant what you're doing. This is something that you need to be weighing up, isn't it? We don't like to have nothing to offer and nothing to give. We want to be able to say, don't we, that, that I did it. I made it. But with Jesus, we, we can't do that. And so consider this, if you're considering following Jesus, that you cannot take hold of Jesus without letting go of yourself and your stuff and whatever it is that keeps you from him. To close your hands around Christ, you first need to open your hands to receive him. Uh, now, perhaps you really do want to do that. Perhaps you, you want to know, you want to follow Jesus. The question you have is, how can I do that? How could I let go of, of this or, or of that thing to have him? Well, people back then had the same question, didn't they? Who, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Well, here is good news. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 27. He said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. It is possible for us to do this with God. We can come to Jesus as spiritual newborns because God can give us new birth. He can free us from the lesser loves that wage war in our hearts because he can give us a new heart. We must be born again to enter God's kingdom. But God can do that for you and for me when we ask him. He can make us spiritually children, ready to receive from him the gift of eternal life. When our boys were born, they were screaming for air. And within minutes, they were suckling for milk because... They knew they had to receive like their lives depended on it. They cried out for what they needed and they received it. And so they lived because naked and helpless and empty, they took the gift. And it would be awful, wouldn't it? It would be awful for us as parents one day to ask them to to give back for what they've received, wouldn't it? Our hearts would break if our boys ever came to us and said, Mom, Dad, just, just let me pay you back for, for everything you've done for me to give me life. Because parents delight in giving our children what they need to live. Well, God delights in that to you. Little flock, said Jesus. It is your father's good pleasure to give ye the kingdom. And so if there is anything holding us back from receiving his kingdom, it is not in him. It is in here. It is in us. And so finally, friends, will you take hold of the king? This is our final point. Take hold of the king. Uh, See, while Jesus had been giving the ruler a heart x-ray, the disciples have had one too. Uh, Because, see, the same disciples who who earlier had tried to keep the children away from Jesus, now they realize that in fact they are, they are like the children. They identify with them. Peter said, see, we, we have left our homes to follow you. Here we are, Lord, naked, empty, helpless. That is how we've come to you. Because now they see that 
Uh, in fact, they are like the children, though they didn't see it at the time, that they have let go of their lesser loves to come to Christ. If you would call yourself a Christian today, I wonder how you answered that question. What would I not give up if it kept me from coming to him? If you call yourself a Christian, the answer to that should be nothing because you have come to him to receive. You must have the empty hands to take hold of of him. Uh, We should all be living with an open hand, whatever we have, not not grasping after what we have, what what we don't have. And so if you can't say that and you would call yourself a Christian, well, this is a chance to to check your heart, to ask yourself, "Am am I coming humbly? Am I coming helplessly? Am I coming as as empty-handed as that to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that me? Can you say with Peter, we have left all that we have to follow ye? As Christians, we should be able to say that to him. Jesus' words are uncompromising, aren't they? Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so that might come as a challenge to you today to check your heart towards Jesus. Ask, is your identity really in him? Or is it rather in what you can give, what you can do, who you are? But for most of us this morning, I trust that this comes as an encouragement that though we have counted the cost to follow Jesus, that that is completely worth it. Because our king says, in fact, we have lost nothing compared to what we gain from him. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. We get it all back. Many times over, says Jesus, not only in the end, but right here and now, we might lose things precious to us. Friends, relationships, families. But Jesus says nobody who has lost the love of others for the love of him will be loved less in the kingdom of God. Because like the children, we are born again into a family, into the church. Uh, There's a a writer, Tom Wright. He doesn't get everything right, but, but I think he's right about this. Listen, he writes, within the life of Christian fellowship, there are new homes, new families, new possibilities that open up for those who leave behind the old ways. The church is called in every age to be that sort of community a living example of the age to come. In that sort of selfless and trusting common life, church members themselves and the world around can glimpse what God's new world is like and live uh, that way more and more. Where is that life today? It is here. It is here. You have it. It is the life of the Christian church, the family of God's. I don't know many of you very well. I I don't know what it may have cost you to come to Christ, what you've left behind or what you've foregone to follow him. 
but whatever it is, let your church family come around you to love you and uphold you and support you in this new life. There is such love in this church. And so don't cut yourself off from it or stay at a distance from others who love you because they love Jesus. And may that be true of everyone who begins to follow Jesus in this church. Uh, I think if we've been Christians a long time, it's easy to forget how costly it is for somebody to choose to follow Christ who perhaps hasn't grown up in, in, in the church or in a Christian home. It is so costly. But this is a reminder that family love is what every new Christian and every old Christian needs because that is what Jesus has promised each of us in his kingdom. And so would you take hold of King Jesus confidently today, knowing that you can let go of what it is keeping you from him, knowing that you will receive so much more in him? Would you take hold of him confidently today? Friends, the door of his kingdom is wide open but it is the size of a newborn baby. And so come to him, would you, like a newborn. Come to him, crying out to him for life. Come to him, empty-handed, ready to receive. Come to him, ready to enter his kingdom. Let go of your life gladly and take hold of the king for the love of him and for the love of his family now and forever. Let's pray for that together now. Lord Jesus, we have left all that we have to follow you. Lord Jesus Christ, how we praise you that you are more to us than anything in this life, that in you are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that in you are the riches of God's grace. Lord, how we thank you that you call us to yourself to come into the kingdom of God and to be saved, to have eternal life. Lord, how we thank you that in you we can be right with God. Father, we pray that you would draw us to Christ each day like little children. Lord, humble our hearts, we pray. We are so proud. Lord, make us, we pray, each day like little children content by their mother's side. Lord, let us cry out to you for life in all of its fullness. And Father, I pray if there are any here today who are struggling and wondering, Lord, whether they truly can leave everything to follow you. Lord, that you would grant them the certainty and the confidence to do so. Lord, that you would grant them the love in this church family to support them. Lord, that you would grant them eternal life in your kingdom by your grace. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.